uh, please turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, we'll be dealing this morning with verses 14 through 21. Hear now the word of our Lord. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see. They who have not heard shall understand. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you place upon men's hearts the ambition to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a dark and dying world. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and for the way you used him in such an incredible way. We thank you for all those we've heard about this morning who are willing, even in the face of persecution, to take the good news to those that don't, do not yet know you. We pray, Lord, that we might all have that kind of an ambition. The ambition to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Paul was clearly concerned about preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, he wrote about three-fourths of the New Testament. And his sole purpose was to tell people about this in incredible thing that had happened in Jerusalem. He considered it an honor to preach the good news. And as we're coming to the end of Romans, remember that he's, he's preaching or writing to a church that he had never been to. He had only heard about what was going on in the church at Rome. But he was so focused that they have the right thing that he wrote this incredible letter. And he was dealing with an issue here in the last couple of chapters about a division between the, the Judaistic Christians, those who'd come from a Jewish background, and those who'd come from a Gentile background. And he was saying, wait a minute, you guys ought not to be at each other's throats. You're all saved by Jesus Christ, and you all ought to have the ambition to take the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in your lives. That was his ambition. He says in verse 20, I aspired to preach the gospel. The New American Standard uses the word aspired. The King James Version says, I have strived 
to preach the gospel. The New International Version, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel. The New King James Version, I've made it my aim. But the word is translated so many different ways there is a really unusual compound word and it comes from the combination of a word for friend and a word for honor. Therefore, it means to be fond of honor, to be eager to do something, to labor, to strive or to study. It's it's uh, translated all those different ways. What Paul is saying is that he worked hard. He was eager to take every opportunity to tell others about Jesus Christ. He didn't consider his preaching to be a burden. There are many pastors in the world who have a lot of difficulty facing Sunday morning. They work hard through the week. And I can tell you from personal experience that sermon crafting is difficult. You're standing saying, thus says the Lord. And Paul was doing that as an apostle. And so he didn't consider it a burden. He enjoyed it. It was a real honor to him. And you and I need to have that kind of an attitude when we talk to others about Jesus Christ. He delighted in being able to preach and teach the good news about eternal life. Paul was a model of the man of Psalm 119. Verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in riches. Paul says, I count everything in this world as loss, is the way most translations put it. But the, the, the Greek word is actually dumb. I count it all as dumb compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And being able to tell others about Jesus Christ was his focus. Paul was like David speaking in Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal for your house has consumed me. And that's the way Jesus Christ presented himself. Paul was like Christ who told the disciples in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Oftentimes, you and I see telling others about Christ as a burden. As something that we really would rather not have to do. But you see, we ought to have that kind of an attitude that zeal for your house has consumed me. Your word is is my food. I, I have this incredible honor to tell others about Jesus Christ. Paul was called especially of God to be a church planter. We've heard this morning about the persecuted church and, and how there are so few churches in such an incredibly dark portions of the world. But Paul was going into those dark places in the world also. He says his desire was to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, verse 20. He understood his mission is to go into countries that had never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. He had a special gift from God. Years ago, when I was in seminary, I read a paper by the pastor that I was interning under. He was the head of church planning training for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church at the time. Uh, 
And I went to Dick Kaufman and said, you know, that, that sounds great. Sign me up, coach. And uh, Dick calmly took me aside and sat me down in the park one afternoon. He said, you're not church planting material. And Dick was right. Church planting is hard. Church planting is something that you have to have a special gift of God in order to do. Paul was sent out into places where they had never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And he had to present the gospel in that, that hostile environment and bring people together in the love of Christ and build up a church. He says, I preached the gospel from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum. Illyricum is what we presently know as Bosnia, Herzegovina. And so if you look at a map, he started at the limit in Jerusalem and all the way around to what we call Bosnia. He's stating the limits of the area in which he preached. Verse 19, Paul says he fulfilled the gospel of Christ. He's not saying, he doesn't mean that he preached the gospel completely in each and every town from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Even though he's covering a period of 10 years and three missionary journeys, he still would not have been able to preach in each and every town to that extent. He also doesn't mean that he preached everything possible about the good news of Jesus Christ. He means that he fulfilled the mission given him by Christ to plant churches from one end of that area to the other. He had gone through there for 10 years, three missionary journeys, and he had planted churches in Corinth and Ephesus and all over that area. And his desire was not to build upon another man's foundation. You see, Paul was a, what we call in, uh, I've heard it called catalyzer. Catalyzers, organizers, and maintainers. And, and Paul was the kind of guy that would, would go in and, and he was the catalyst. He'd get it off the ground and once it was up and running, he was off to somewhere else. He trained people to organize and maintain those churches. And Paul saw himself as working as a servant of the Lord over and over and over again. He starts his letters, Paul, a doulos, a bond slave, someone who sold himself into service to the Lord. In Isaiah, he quotes in this passage Isaiah 52, 15, in verse 21. He says, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He's quoting Isaiah's prophecy, which refers to the coming of the Messiah, the true servant of the Lord. That was a passage that we read this morning in unison. Isaiah's prophecy referred to the Messiah, but Paul saw himself imitating Christ, being a Christian or a Christ-like one in this way. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You see, each and every one of us ought to be able to make that statement. I don't know about you, but I can't. But that's what we ought to strive for. To be able to say to others, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Paul was called to be a priest of God. In verse 15 he says, But I've written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God, 
to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The word that Paul uses, which we translate minister and ministering, is a word which applies mainly to the Levitical priesthood in the tabernacle, in the temple. It's not the normal word that we translate minister, diakonos, from which we get deacon. It's a different word entirely. Clark's commentary on this passage says in the New Testament, the word that Paul uses here is applied mainly to the Levitical priesthood who ministered and served at the altar. The function of the priest in the, in the tabernacle, in, in, in the temple in Israel, the function of the priest was to present, to ensure that the sacrifice that the people brought to him was presented to God in a proper way. To make sure that that sacrifice was acceptable to God. What Paul is saying here is that his charter as an apostle was to teach others so that they might be presented acceptable to God. He's stating that his charter was to present others as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul here describes the church, a church in which he had never been, a church that he only knew some of the people there, as a mature church. Their reputation was throughout that part of the world. Paul says to them in chapter 1, verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Would that people could say that about Potomac Hills. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says, Paul gives us three criteria by which to judge or evaluate the church, the church at Rome and our church. The people should be full of goodness. Paul says he's convinced, though he had never been there, that the church at Rome is full of of goodness. Now, goodness is an unusual word in Scripture. It's only used three other times in the New Testament. It's the goodness of God that's in view. Because you see, in the flesh, the Scripture says there is none good. No, not one. In and of ourselves, we are not good. But they were full of goodness. What's Paul saying? Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, real goodness comes only 
from the fruit of the Spirit. Real goodness comes only from the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now we talk about good people. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. People are good only in the, in the fact that they have Christ. And this church, Paul says, was full of all goodness. The members should be filled with all knowledge. Paul says the church at Rome is filled with all knowledge. Wow, what an incredible statement. That certainly is not the case in most American churches today. Boyce quotes a George Gallup interview in Reformed Theological Seminary Journal in which George Gallup says religious belief in America is remarkably high. Certainly the highest of any developed nation in the world. At the same time, American religious life is characterized by a series of gaps. First, an ethics gap exists between Americans' expressed beliefs and the state of society they shape. While religion is highly popular in America, it is to a large extent superficial. It does not change people's lives to the degree one would expect from their level of professed faith. In ethical behavior, there is very little difference between the churched and the unchurched. Related to this is a knowledge gap between Americans' stated faith and the lack of the most basic knowledge about that faith. Half, one half of all people who say they are Christian do not know who delivered the sermon on the mount. That's an amazing thing. David Wells, a professor of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, is quoted by Boyce in his commentary uh, concerning four things that Professor Wells noticed about seminary students coming in to the seminary at Gordon-Conwell. He says, first, each entering class was more biblically illiterate than the last. Each class seemed to have more students who were swamped with their own personal problems and therefore were thinking about themselves rather than their studies or how to help others. They had a greater sense of their own personal entitlements. They expected everything to be done for them. And fourth, they were sold out to and mostly uncritical of the surrounding secular culture. They weren't different. They wouldn't have stood out in these churches in these persecuted countries. Many Christians in the world today in America would not be different from the culture in which they had find themselves. Third, Paul says members of the church should be able to admonish one another. Paul says a church at Rome, you are able to admonish one another. Able is uh, the Greek word dunamis, from which we get dynamite. It's power. Therefore, they were powerful. We should have the power to admonish one another. That doesn't mean that we have the power to blow up one another. That's not what it's talking about. So we have the ability through Scripture Admonish is an interesting word. It comes from a compound word. One part is a, a word which means to kneel down beside another. 
The other part comes from a word which means to, to put in mind. So what it's saying is to, to kneel down alongside someone and put them in the same mind. It's to counsel. Jay Adams, a professor of mine at Westminster in California, started the Nuthetic Counseling Movement. Uh, that word, Nuthetos, meaning to, to put in the same mind, to counsel. In Acts 20, verse 31, Paul says to the elders of the church of Ephesus, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. You and I tend to think of admonish in a negative way, to rebuke, to reprove, to reprimand. But the word really means to, to lovingly come alongside someone and to counsel them from Scripture. And that's what Paul was doing. His mission was given him by God and accomplished through him by Christ. Verses 15 and 16, Paul says, But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. In verse 18, Paul says, For I, did not, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul, from our perspective, accomplished a huge amount. But what Paul is reminding us of is that everything we do comes from God. It wasn't Paul's great oratory ability. It wasn't Paul's great writing skill. It wasn't Paul's great organizational ability that was in view. Paul says, Christ, use me. Think about who Paul was. He was an old, scrawny, small Jew, very probably. With something wrong with his eye, his eye weeped, he says. With something wrong with his hip, he probably had a, had a limp. And he had this really squeaky, terrible voice that nobody liked. And he wrote really strong letters. But God used even him. And you and I need to have that attitude. You and I need to have that ambition to spread the gospel, to let Christ use you and I to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We should consider it an honor to tell others what Christ has done in our lives. 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 31. For I consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The God of the universe has chosen the weak, the foolish, the despised, the base things of the world, you and I, to proclaim the incredible message of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
You and I may not be called to be church planters. I certainly wasn't. But we are called to tell others about what God has done in our lives. And we ought to count that an honor. We ought to be eager to do it. We ought to be unafraid to do it. Because you and I, like Paul, are called to be priests of God. Revelation 1, verses 5-7 through says, Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood, He made us kings, priests, to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We may be persecuted in the world. They may be horribly persecuting Christians and throwing them out of their churches and and killing them in the streets. But what people don't realize is we truly are kings and will one day rule over the creation of God. And we are priests of God to bring Him glory forever. Husbands are called to present their wives holy and blameless. Ephesians 5, 25-28. The Word says that husbands are responsible to make sure their wives are in the Word, to wash them with the water of the Word, and to present them holy and blameless and acceptable to God. Just as the priest was responsible to present that sacrifice holy and blameless. Parents, you are called to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to constantly remind them that they need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to present them holy and blameless to God. Elders in the church are called to shepherd the flock as those who will give an account for the souls of the people over whom God has placed us. We are called to constantly admonish you and to encourage you and to counsel you and to beg you to be in the Word, that you are washed by the Word, that you might be presented holy and blameless before God. We are all called to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Romans 14, verse 19. Like Paul, you and I are called to remind one another over and over if necessary of the love God has given each one of us through His grace. James Boyce asked in his commentary, do we love the Lord enough to talk about Him naturally and often? Do we care for others enough to bring spiritual truths into daily conversation? Do we care for Christians enough to point them in the right direction when we see that they're deviating from or falling short of that right direction? Do we care enough to discuss difficult issues with kindness? You and I are commanded by God. The very first commandment that God gave man was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and take dominion over it. And when God says to be fruitful, He's not talking about simply just having lots of kids. He's talking about reproducing ourselves as Christians to bear fruit, to tell others about Jesus Christ. 
take that treasure that God has given us in those weak, fragile clay pots and present it to the world. The boy says, God is glorified in using us. We are the most unprofitable of servants. Even if we have great natural talents, but if we will offer ourselves to God as his slaves, he will use us and will bring glory to himself even though our, through our natural human foolishness, our weaknesses, or our lack of worldly status. And that will be to our glory too. Boy says, think of the reformers and what God did through them. Luther was a portly little monk. Calvin was what we would call an ivory tower bookworm and theologian. God changed the world through those men. He used another little monk known as Little Bilney to win Hugh Latimer to Christ. And Latimer had a tremendous Reformation influence. William Wilberforce was a cripple. But God used him to free the slaves throughout the British Empire. D.L. Moody was an uneducated shoe salesman. But one day, his Sunday school teacher presented the gospel to D.L. Moody at work. And God used Moody in tremendous ways. He became an evangelist. And during one of his sermons, a professional baseball player heard Moody preach and gave his life to Christ. That professional baseball player's name was Billy Sunday. He too became an evangelist. And one day he was heard by a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. And Ham gave his life to Christ. And he too became an evangelistic preacher. And at one of his services... In 1934, a young man heard his sermon and gave his life to Christ. That young man's name was Billy Gray. One Sunday school teacher's ambition to tell of his student about Jesus Christ resulted in a tremendous chain of events. As long as you and I have the ambition to do what God commands. God can use us in ways far beyond we can ever imagine. May God grant to each one of us the ambition to spread the good news of Jesus Christ without fear. Let's pray again.